Hello and welcome to our podcast. At In Diverse Company, we help organisations to create inclusive cultures that are not just good for business, but good for people too. We've been fortunate enough to meet some fantastic influencers in this space that really brings to life why inclusion is important, not just from a work perspective, but also the effects of change in the wider society. We'll be covering topics such as mental well-being, social mobility, men's mental health, neurodiversity and everything in between. Our podcast series is a chance for our listeners to be able to share some fantastic stories as well as take away some key insights that can be put into practice. We hope you find this valuable. So today's episode, I'm interviewing our very own CEO, Johanna Beresford. Johanna has worked in HR for the last 20 years before starting up her own business, which is in diverse company. And as well as being a CEO to the business, she's also a wife, a mother to three young children and stepmother to three elder boys. Welcome to today's show, Johanna. Thanks, Dina. It's uh, great to be talking to you today. So today we'll be talking about women in leadership. And I thought that we'd start today's session with a little warm up, quick fire round. So just let me know which one you prefer. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Music or podcasts? Music. Telephone call or text? Telephone call. And honesty or others' feelings? Oh, that's a good one. Others' feelings. Okay, thanks for that. Do you think that you can do honesty and others' feelings together? Can you be honest in a compassionate yet truthful manner? I, th- I think you can. I-, I think partly comes down to the definition of honesty. And the reason I pause there is because I often think it in the context of when I talk to my children. So I, I definitely sometimes will give a-, a white life. I think that their feelings are, are more important. You know, given everything that's going on in, in the world at the moment, sometimes I won't tell them all the facts and all of the information. So in that regard, I think that the how how honest I might be isn't completely truthful, but it's to protect the feelings of those that you care about, mm-hmm. which is different to um being honest in in a in a very deceitful way. So that's that's probably the reason as to why I paused and, and gave that answer. Thank you. And in, just sorry to pick your brain a little bit further. In business, which one do you go for? Honesty. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. I want to kind of start the conversation with how you are. So, how would you score your mental well-being on a scale of one to ten today? I would say uh, seven. Seven. So, yes. And is that generally where you are each day? Is this a particularly, is this a normal day or? I think my, my normal day is probably an eight or nine. I'd say most, uh, most days I definitely would also have some, some t- 10 days. So I'm generally a positive and optimistic person and it takes quite a lot to, 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 to make me feel down. But I would say that tiredness is definitely mm-hmm. impacting my score of seven and a feeling of having to do lots of things. And I'm thinking that I'm doing all of those things quite badly at the moment. Mm. And so that whole notion of kind of spreading yourself, spreading yourself quite, quite thin mm-hmm. and feeling guilty for not 
doing the, the best that you can in, in, in all of those those areas. So I'm probably my my biggest critic is me. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm, de- I'm definitely having one of those days at, mm. today, which is, is why it's probably a seven rather than maybe an eight or nine. We'll definitely touch more on, you know, trying to do everything and doing everything well further on. But thank you for being so honest. Do you have any daily, um, small daily tips or habits that help you with your well-being? Yes, no, definitely. So um, and partly the, the answer to the sunrise, I'm an early riser. So I, I get up definitely before anyone else in my household. That's quite early because I have small, small children. And that, that's the thing that helps me the most. And so in that hour before anyone else is up, I have to make sure that I do something for myself. So whether that's 20 minutes of yoga, whether that's going out for a run, whether that's even just sitting and reading a magazine or reading a newspaper or <laughs> reading a book with children or, or busy lives, those are sometimes things that, that we don't, we don't pri- prioritise. So it's a, it's a habit. So I always do it every, every morning. I'm, I, I'm up early. What I do differs depending on on the on the mood. And I definitely have come to recognise as I've got older, not to put as much pressure on myself to always feel that I have to do to do everything. So I, mm. you know, I used to do a lot of exercise and in my twenties. I really enjoy exercise, and it definitely is the thing that helps me the most with my mental well being. But after having children, I wanted to get straight back into it, to exercise and mm. put a lot of pressure on myself in the in the early years to be doing an hour, 90 minutes of exercise a, a day. And, and I've realized that for me now at this point in my life, that's impossible. So even if I do 15 or 20 minutes, that's that's great. And it makes me feel significantly different. And yes, I don't I'm not as fit as I was in my 20s, but that's OK. And Maybe in my fifties, when my kids are grown up, I can become that fit again. But at the moment, mm. it's not to worry so much about that, and not to be so hard on yourself. Be kind to yes. yourself. Yeah. Yes. No. Absolutely. <laughs> so, as we discussed in the intro, you've had a successful career in HR. You're now a CEO of a tech startup with teams primarily in the UK, Ukraine, and India. Not a typical next move. Um, could you share with us your journey that led you to where you are today? Yes, no, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, Dina, my, my career has been in HR and I've been exceptionally fortunate to spend all of my HR career working internationally. So I spent um, my early 20s living out in Beijing and Hong Kong, and I've worked across the globe. So North, South America, Africa, the Middle East, and, and Asia. And that was, I think, really significant in the fact that from very early age, I had an absolute interest in, in different cultures, but particularly from a, from a business context, so many organizations are, are global. And so within that, you have exceptional um, kind of diversity. You've got so many ranges of, of perspectives. Yet what I was seeing from the, not just the organisations that I was working with, the organisations my friends were working in, um, looking at, you know, in, in the news that very few, few firms, because it's hard, 
really get the most of the breadth of, of perspectives and the diversity that they that they have in, in in the business. And that's because the way organizations are structured and the hierarchy of those organizations, it often means that, that, that that's the case. So I've always been really inquisitive about that and um, focused on that as, as part of the work that I was doing um, as, as, as a HR director. Then when I, my, I had my first uh, baby, Millie, I made the slightly mad decision to do an MBA. And I, and I did that for one key reason. I was in lots of senior uh, meetings and um, less, I think, to do with the fact that I was woman, a woman and more to do with the fact that I worked in HR. And HR's got a pretty bad reputation. It's often seen as the area that processes policies and procedures and you go to either when you need to hire someone or when you fire someone. HR functions are much more than that and can be much more than that. And so what that often meant that was that you don't have an equal seat at the executive table. And so I understand finances have always had an, an interest and an ability to read a P&L sheet, but I didn't have a qualification that, that matched it. So I went and did my um, my executive MBA at Side Business School, which is part of Oxford University. It taught me a lot as well as gave me a fantastic network, but it also definitely prompted me to think about what, what I was doing. But it wasn't at the point that I finished the MBA that, that I made that, that decision. I then had uh, another baby, uh, went back from maternity leave quite quickly with, with both of them after three months, which was entirely my, my choice. I love having children. I, I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to, to, to have um, young children, but at the same time, I really enjoy being, being at work. And then I fell pregnant quite quickly afterwards with my, with my third baby and I physically lived quite far away from where I was working. And I knew that I wanted more of a balance in terms of really some simple things, Dina, such as being able to eat dinner with my kids at least a couple of times a week. So I was leaving my house to go to work at 6am and I would be coming back at 7, 8. And I was traveling a lot internationally. So meant I was spending very little time at home. So I decided to leave and set up uh, in, di- in diverse company, I did at the time that I was I was pregnant with with my third daughter, and I I always knew what I wanted to do in terms of of the mission of the business. So I I knew that I wanted to help organisations create inclusive workplaces. Kind of noting that you know that inquisitive point earlier around getting the most out of any 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 work. There's lots that we could talk about on 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 that, but trying to keep it relatively short that I always knew that that was the the mission of the business but it's been an incredible learning experience in terms of deciding how how that would how that would work so I had an idea around measuring inclusion um, and so we we really focused on that at the start of the business which worked really well at the time because I had a, a small baby. She was actually premature. So I was in hospital for, for a while with her. And then I was breastfeeding. So it was uh, at the start of the business, there was lots of research. So able to do more time, time at home at, at, at the start. And then, and then things grew quite quickly and quite significantly, which has been fantastic. 
but has meant that some of the reasons as to why I started the business, i.e. being able to spend more time with my children, hasn't come to fruition. But what I still do have is is choice, and I and I and I know we'll probably come on to a bit more uh, around this this Dina, but the ability to have choice that I travel a lot. We've got our our office in London. I'll be in, in in London some days a week, but I also do have the ability to work from home. And on those days that I work from home, I can finish at four, have dinner with my children, and then come back on, online at six thirty, seven o'clock once once they're in bed. And I think for anyone, man or woman, that ability to have choice at some on some days. And again, you know, I, I'm also a pragmatist. You know, I'm very realistic. I don't have dinner with my children every day. I don't have breakfast with my children every day, but I do it much more than I was previously. And the quality of that time for me is is much better than it was previously. I'm glad that you've touched upon that. As I said, you're a CEO, but you're also a mother to three young children and step on to three elder boys. Do you feel that you managed to achieve a sense of balance? And if so, how? So we've kind of touched on that, that you do have more time at home and you are able to have meals with your kids, pick them up from school, that sort of thing. Do you think that you're achieving the balance that you want? It's a, it's a great question, Dina, and it's, it's, a, it's a hard one. So, and I think the honest answer to it is some days yes and some days no. And probably if we had Millie, my seven-year-old, she would probably say no <laughs> not all the time but 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 definitely some sometimes and I, I think every parent has mother and, and father guilt and of course our children want to spend more time with us and mm. wow I'm, I'm I'm thinking a lot about that particularly in, in, in the moment you know the children have been at home for over five weeks I think it's going to be really hard for them going back but I equally think it's going to be really hard for for, for, for parents so mm. And, and some days before we were all forced to be working at home, but when I was doing a very much a mixture and, and so my weeks could sometimes look like I would be traveling for a whole week. So I'd be away for an entire week. And then the next week I might be in London two or three days and then at home two, two or three days. So it's, 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 it's quite varied, which I, I really enjoy. And so on those weeks that I'm traveling, I'm away. And um, in some ways that's easier. And that's often a really strange thing to say, but I know that I'm working. And so kind of my entire day, when I get back to the hotel, I'm still working. And so I feel really productive and I'm getting lots done. So then that weekend afterwards, I feel that I've achieved a lot the week before and I'm able to spend all of my time with my my children that that, that weekend. So it, 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 for me, that is balanced. And then, whereas often when I'm at home and um, you know children come home from school and you're you're working and they're kind of coming in and in and out of the the office and things, and that's often when balance is, is much harder because mm. they're there, but you don't feel that you're being present. And I talk about this a lot with my friends. We've talked about it with colleagues, with with clients. It's about the times that I think you're with your children as being being present. I'm really strict around not having my phone with me when I'm with the kids at the weekend or even when we're having when it, when we're having dinner. So that time I do have, I feel that I'm really with them and not with them, but not really with with them. But I think what what's been very interesting just in the last five weeks is that 
because they are at home all of the time and because we're doing I'm doing a mixture of work juggling with my husband and my my step boys who've been very helpful during this this period and home homeschooling and also because everyone's on a level playing field so lots of us yeah. have have children and other people in our houses so it's common now to be in a conference call and to have a small two-year-old jumping up and people are much more her, are much more accepting of that my friend shared a story with me uh she's she's based in in new york and she she told me that about three months ago she'd had this really important client call and she actually locked her children in the bathroom with an ipad <laughs> but she said it was so important that she needed to make sure that they were quiet. How old for the children? <laughs> they were four and six. And she said, you know, they had food, they had water, you know, yeah. they had snacks, they had the iPad, but I just, I couldn't let them come in. And she said, I don't have an office, so I, I do my my meetings on the kitchen table. So I put them in there. And she said, and afterwards I felt guilty. I felt horrendous. And I thought, and now I'm having conference calls and they are there in they're there in the in, in the background. And so I, uh, you know, coming back to that point on balance, I think it's it's hard. It's hard for yeah. all of us. You know, sometimes we all work twelve hours a day and feel like we've been really productive and that's been a great day. And and other times we'll work less hours but feel that we haven't had as much balance and it's mm it's often really contextual of what you've got going on personally, but also what really works for you in terms of that balance. Mm. I think that that story of your friend in New York really lends itself to what I'm thinking next, which is the statement, women can have it all. Does something have to give or is it really achieved with a strong support network and a sense of privilege? What do you think? I think it, I think it's, again another really insightful question and one i i think about a lot if i think about so i'm going to talk about it from a personal perspective first and and, and then add some additional thoughts dina so from a personal perspective i definitely wouldn't be able to do the job that i do and feel that the, my children were being looked after if my husband wasn't at the point that he is with his career so he's older than me. He's had some some biz businesses. So he works, but he's not working anywhere near the hours that I'm working. So he has more time. I always know that when I'm traveling or there's something critical going on, there is some someone else. And so therefore, I feel exceptionally privileged and fortunate to, to have that, to have that support, support network. The second is, you know, I'm building a business. And so I absolutely recognize that there is a period for the next, I think, five years where this is going to be my normality. And I have to be very comfortable. I have to, and I, I consciously talk to myself about this point a lot, Dina, that it's like, I've made this choice and I need to make sure that in 10 years time, I don't feel it was the wrong choice. And that, because I, I can't, you can never get the, that time back. You can never get the time back with young children. It kind of links to what you were, you were saying earlier. On the point on when can women have it all? And, you know, you see lots. I, I read something yesterday about a man and I won't name the pet that the celebrity, but she was she was making this really exceptionally important um, point And it was so eloquently put. And this man responded basically saying, you know, he, he said something along the lines of 
if women just reverted to thinking about the things that they were good at and not wanting at all, you wouldn't have these angry feminists. And um, I mean, at that point, I responded, I don't think that there should be feminists. I think there should only be sexist people. And so sexist people are people that, that, that have, that have the, those views. So I think that there's something around that point on women that, you know, can women really have it all? I think it shouldn't even be a question because why should one half of the population be able to have it all and the other half of the population not be able to not be able to have it? And I think this about, you know, I, I've had more criticism from other women about continuing to work, going back from maternity leave so quickly and, and particularly continuing to travel. How can you leave your young children? and travel how can you do that men primarily haven't said that to me Dina. how does that make you feel when people when women ask you that question particularly yeah and i think it's um i i always respond with saying i would never make a judgment about anyone else the way that anyone else chooses to raise their children and as long as you know your children are loved and they are safe and they are being educated that's you know, and, and you're confident that those things are, are happening. The choices you, you make should be right for you. And I have many friends that stay at home. I have many friends that do a mixture. I have many friends that have other people that take, um, you know, the, the, the primary primary role in, you know, looking after children, taking them to them, to them from, from school. For me, it's all about, you know, if you're really comfortable with your choices, then you shouldn't be passing judgment. But what I really feel very strongly, though, about Dina is that that statement of women can't have it all. I think it is exceptionally hard for many women to be able to achieve that. And that comes down to the point of, of, of privilege. I am privileged in the fact that I have someone else in my home that I feel is able to be around. For many women, they're raising their children alone. And our system in, in the UK around childcare provision isn't one that that necessarily supports them in being able to do that. And I also think that there is a, a, a point around colour. And so, again, often those women that are in, in more senior leadership roles might not look exactly like, like me. I wasn't privately educated, but I am white and I recognise that therefore I, I automatically have privilege. And I think people are fearful of, of, of saying that. And I think that when we say women can have it all, I think when we're really thinking about that question, Dina, we should be thinking about how do we enable all women to have it all if they want to. And that point at the end is also because not everyone, you know, I've got some of my closest friends think what I do is is insane and it would be there. They w really wouldn't enjoy it. And so that that's also the point. I mean, my, my mum worked part time. She was a stay at home mum and she loved that. And if the thought of doing what I do would probably fill, fill her with dread, uh, but most importantly, she wouldn't enjoy it and she wouldn't get positive energy out of it. So when we make that statement about women having it all, it should be about in the context of what, and I think it goes for men as well, isn't it? We could flip that question on reverse. If a man wants a different career to, one's, to one that perhaps his father wanted or ones that perhaps that his peers have him around it, again, that should be accepted. But I think the point that's really important is that for those that do want to climb the corporate level ladder and 
either have their own firm, set up their own business, or be in a senior leadership position, everyone should have an equal ability to play in that playing playing field. Does that answer the question? Yeah, it does. And I think it's really insightful. And I think one of the things that came up for me is having a level playing field and it's an individual choice of what's having it all looks like. I know for me, I've that my friends will say that I'm ambitious and you know, I've gone I've had senior positions and it's just not their cup of tea. Like they it's just not what what drives them, what fuels them and it's okay to have different ambitions and goals. But like you said, it's about those opportunities. Are they equal for all women? And becoming more comfortable with actually saying, well, if you're a woman of colour, these are the other obstacles you have to go. We all have to try and find childcare, but then will I be treated the same as someone who is a single mother but white in terms of opportunities and support in the workplace? That's a that's a important question mm-hmm. that may be uncomfortable, but we have to feel okay with looking yeah. at that, depicting that, and seeing how we can change that. So yes, yeah, yeah. And, and and the de- you know I'm I'm very data driven as as well, and and the, and the data shows that there is inequality. And so for anyone to argue that there isn't isn't looking at the data. I mean, and we can start that argument from the point that a woman becomes pregnant, more women of colour die during labour than white women. It's a fact. There is a reason to have, it's not, there's nothing biological that provides that the argument as to why that data is there. Again, the current, you know, the three women that have sadly died whilst pregnant during COVID-19 have all been women of of, of colour. So these risks and these obstacles are there for women, all women. I absolutely agree. But they are there even more for for those women of of, of colour. And it has to be something that we talk, not talk about, talk about, we do something about it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that that is a topic for another podcast, I feel. (laughs) I think it is. I think it is. One area as an organisation that we are passionate about talking about is tackling the role modelling to young women um, and girls and the language society uses between different genders, which we just, you touched about in terms of, you know, men and women being able to choose what works for them and breaking the social norms. Why is this so important to you? I think it's exceptionally important because... The language that we use has a huge impact on the decisions that we make. So the decisions that young girls make, you know, a really basic level. So certain language or saying that boys typically do motorsports, become scientists, become CEOs, as an example, or women, um, you know, if you look at, and it's images and 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 language, isn't it? So if you look at um, school books and topic books, often you'll have the doctor as the, as the man and the um, the nurses as, as the woman. So these these things that um, are really subliminal, subconscious, informed decisions our young children make about the careers that that, that they want. 
But I think it's it, it's it's not just about the career choices that people make, and I think the career choices people make are, re- are really young age are, are significant to why we have less women in CEO positions than we than we do do men. I think it's there is an absolute correlation between the, the, those things. So I think it should change because of that. And so we think have initiative, you know, great initiatives such as STEM, you know, encouraging more girls to consider science as, as, as an option for, for an example and things like that have, have, we've already started to see the positive impact that we've had in terms of more young girls applying for those topics um, and subjects, sorry. In university, and therefore we're going to have a bigger pipeline of, of talent. You know, the same goes for, for things such as technology. But I think it's also more it's, it's more important than just the choices we make at a career level. I, I think it's really important around our mental health. And if I think about and, and it's and it's hard as a parent because I am I am a feminist, and you know my my children would definitely say that, and are def- definitely my 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 step boys, and we have this conversation a lot at home. But small things around girls can can't do this, or boys can't do this, or as an example, you know, one of my sons, you know, you throw like a girl the other day, and it was meant in no harm at all. Mm. But these things are things that, as society, we have we've we've grown up with. But even things like talking about using language around you are beautiful and this is what it is and it's incredibly complex and it's really it's a really hard one because often I will describe my daughters as beautiful I equally often describe my, my son as beautiful I primarily mean the word from inside because I think that that's how as a mother you're really thinking much around their personality and the things that they do is the the way that they look but then the language that 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 you're using in those kind of gender typical roles has a, a huge impact on mental ill health. If I think about it, I think about this is why we have such a crisis, not just in the UK, but globally, of so many of our young boys suffering from mental ill health and either committing suicide or attempting to commit suicide. I firmly believe part of the reason is because there has been a narrative created that the language that they can use or the way that they should express themselves should be different to girls. Mm-hmm. And, and it shouldn't be. It, it fundamentally shouldn't be. So it's as much around the notion of gender equality so that we've got more women in leadership roles as it is in ensuring that our men are comfortable mm. with expressing expressing emotions and being able to say when they're really feeling unhappy. And, and so I think it goes both ways. This, it, this for me, was, was about equality. It's not just about, about women. It's, it's equally about actually what's the language that we're using around men and, and male role models. Mm. I think that the point that you made around you throw like a girl, it's, it is a comment that is innocently made and it's, yeah, it, it meant no harm, but it's a very loaded statement to make, isn't it? Um, yes. Those everyday comments do have an impact on how you see yourself or view how you should act within your gender. So I think, yeah, it's it's kind of like a rewiring of the language that we use around children and young people and, and, and adults as well, I think. If one of us, when you were a young girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? It's a good, it's a good question. A few things. When I was very little, a pilot... Okay, cool. And, yeah. 
And, but you'd like uh, you're not doing that right now. <laughs> yes, yeah. And um, my my dad took me um, for some kind of lessons, simulation lessons, and I realised that you needed to have really strong arms. And I thought, I'm never going to have really. Really, really I, isn't it? Isn't it like quite? Yeah, I was. Well, it was in an RAF kind of jet, you know, pilot, and, mm. and I think, um, and and then. So when I studied psychology as my undergrad and my master's and I wanted to work in child psychology and I got accepted to do a PhD. And then at the last minute, I decided, oh, actually, I should just go and work for a few years and work out whether I wanted to do this because I was very worried that it would have such a I think about things deeply and I I worry about others an enormous amount. And I think what that means for me personally, is that I would have taken everything, everything home. Um, but interestingly, I think if I was to retrain again, perhaps in my fifties, that that's that's something that I would definitely I would definitely like to do. And I think I would probably be, be much better at doing it in my fifties than I was in in my twenties because I would have had children. I've had more, a lot more lived lived experience. Yeah. So I think I I never really I never really knew I was really fortunate that I started working in HR and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I often have interviewed many many people over the years, and often when people come into HR and say that they like people, I I was as as an answer to a question, it's like you need to like people, but you also need to be able to make very difficult decisions. So. HR is about understanding people, but it's also being able to, you know, you've got to be able to make tough business decisions as well. So you've got to be, in my view, be able to do those two things effectively. So in short answer to the question, Dina, uh, you know, um, a few different things. Mm. Uh, I think I, I probably knew roughly that it was always in, in this area and I really enjoy working in in this this area I yeah I definitely didn't think that I would have a career where I would set up a tech business well I I'm thinking what would you what would you say to that young Johanna that was thinking about being a pilot that you're now a female CEO in the tech sector yeah I would um and I, I love it I I can talk about the topic of diversity and inclusion and, and we have uh, you know coming up to a year now Dina on lots of topics and I really enjoy that and I really enjoy working with clients what I didn't realize I would enjoy as as much as I always knew that technology could be a real enabler for for good and I think that I get that again is the core of what we've been trying to create but I have found it fascinating and I've learned so much in terms of building technology part to to our to our business and it's it's, it's not typical. And I think there needs to be more women CEOs of technology firms across all of the area. I mean, we're in the HR tech space. What I find fascinating is if you look in the HR tech space, there are so many female chief people officers, yet in the HR tech space, there are very, very few HR tech firms led by women. Why is that? Because it's for me at the core of it, you have to understand people and you have to understand behavior change. Mm. And there should, again, be much more of an, an, an equal balance. We know that the technology industry is, is male dominated. And therefore, what that means is that often the way that technology has been designed has a bias in it. 
And again, I'm not arguing that they're that every uh, HR tech firm or that more HR tech firms should be run by women than men, but there should definitely be more equality in, in it. Mm. And so it's been fascinating building that, that business and really intentional as well to try to build the technology for part of the business in a different in a different way, in a way actually where we are not just creating a technology platform that's different, but the way in which we're doing that and the processes in which we're doing that is, are, 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 are different as well. And I think that that's been, um, it's been challenging, but it's been rewarding. And I think it's been worthwhile as well. What's been the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome since launching in Diverse Company? I think it's a, it's a really good one. I think... I'm going to answer it in two ways, Dina, which is why I was, I was hesitating. But personally, being able to make sure that more of my time is external focus rather than internal focus. And that's really hard, really hard. So, of course, I'm the CEO. So I need to spend a lot of my time at looking at what we're doing internally to make sure that that's working, kind of hence the, the previous note around technology. But I need to be spending more of my time looking externally, working with our clients, developing a brand, building up, building our business. And some weeks I'll get at the end of a week and I know if a week, if I don't feel positive about a week, it's when I spend 80% internally and 20% externally. And I know that I need to sometimes flip that entirely. So I think for me, that's been a, a real personal challenge. I think for the business overall, I I think taking ideas and concepts and then being able to execute and create a product that is different but not different just for being different sake different because actually we really want to drive behavior change and so that's that's been the biggest challenge is that what we're trying to do is complex and hard and if it was easy, someone would have done it a long time ago and there would have been lots of, lots of these, these businesses. So I think that that, for me, at, at the core of what we're trying to do is incredibly complex. You know, creating inclusive cultures and driving behaviour change is not a simple topic. It's not a simple thing to achieve. So therefore, in creating what we've created through the platform, our different products and services, it's it's, it's required a lot of expertise and we've got mm. you know, within the business really diverse sets of expertise from marketing, from data science, from technology, from international. If we didn't have all of that, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I always think that it's it's always around the sum of our parts and it's always, mm. as in addition to that, Dina, as well, always challenging ourselves when we're thinking about what do our clients want? What are they going to respond to? And how do we drive change of behavior change? Is that I don't have everyone around me that looks and thinks like me. And I say that, and the looks and thinks is really important, isn't it? It's, it's not just about people looking different to me, but it's as important that people think about, think differently from, from me because mm. otherwise you just have everyone thinking your great ideas are your great ideas. Whereas actually we need to be always challenging those to make them better ideas. I've got a question around your personal challenge. So if being internal is 
you know, 80% internals, not a great week. It should be the other way around. How are you going to overcome this? And does this take form of a daily habit that you could start? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's probably the, the the short answer in the fact of at the start of my day, being very conscious of looking at what my day entails. And so I really try and do that. And I really try and make sure, you know, looking at my my week ahead and my, my month ahead, who am I talking to externally? Am I, am I spending my time following up with the conversations, um, making sure that I'm continuing those conversations, making sure that I am talking to our current clients enough? I think what tends to happen, so, so I do that at the moment, I think what can often then tend to happen is that um, the internal stuff often becomes, re- is, is often very reactive. And so it's mm-hmm. having, you know, a few conversations on, 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 on a few, a few to- topics. Um, so I think that there's something about be I, I could definitely, you know, create a habit where I'm being more disciplined around this. Mm. And also, and it comes back to this point on inclusion, I, I am, um, I've got a, a great team. I enjoy working with everyone. I want to speak with everyone. And I and I also kind of even in those weeks when I've spent 80% of my time, perhaps internally, I don't think I've spent enough time with 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 everyone. Awesome. And that then becomes hard. And it's how do you and, and I think we're all facing this at the moment, aren't we? How do we work in the most effective way where we feel that we are being productive? And at the end of the week, we've like, okay, I've, I've done some of those things that I really wanted to do. I'm getting ideas and perspectives from other people. I'm making sure that I'm engaging. We're checking on the well-being of each other. We're, we are human beings and we are you know, colleagues, but equally we, we care about each other, that, that we're doing those things. And we're focusing on the external, um, mm. external perspective. And I, I, I think it's making sure, I think, that you're doing enough of each of those things that you that you feel that you that you, that you have achieved what 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 you want to mm. I think that they're definitely that that's something that I'm, I'm definitely going to go away with I'll go away and think about a little bit more as well yeah well living through this coronavirus pandemic as you said we're in week five of a six-week lockdown we're not quite sure definitely in the UK what the next steps are going to be What's been the biggest challenge for you as a leader during this current pandemic? I think it's the unknown. And I think that probably <laughs> so many people will be will be feeling feeling that. So whether that's the unknown of when you're talking to a client, when we're going to be able to start delivering some of the face-to-face that, that we were planning to, whether it's, you know, we're talking with uh, a client about um, wanting to roll out include LXP and it, it's unknowns on, on, on their on their side. Um, it's unknowns around when we can come together as, as a biz- business and we're working remotely works for us. And it's always been part of the way that we've worked. But I personally find it really difficult to do it every single day. So us being physically to you know to, together again at the time when when it's um okay for us health wise um is going to be really beneficial for, for us and for, for for many businesses as we know so i think it's the um the biggest challenge has just been planning for for the unknown but i also think it's been quite there has been 
And I, throughout this last five, six weeks, day, I've always been trying to think about what's the, what's the, there has to be some positives. And there are positives at a global scale, sustainability. And I could, again, we could have a separate podcast on, on, on that one. You know, the, our consumer behavior, the way that, you know, definitely it changed my views on my consumer behavior and ways that I'm thinking about some of the, my, my behaviors after, after this. But also, I think it, 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 it's made us all pause. And, and I think that that's good. It's made us pause and think about the things that we really miss, being able to hug our friends, the people that we care, that we care about to, to see them and wanting to make more of that when we're, when we're able to. But also then some of the things that we used to do because they were just part of our routine, but perhaps they weren't that good for us. Um, and, and having this time to pause was going to us, allow us to break old habits and build new ones that are better for us and that that help all of us with our mental well-being with our productivity with our relationships with each other mm-hmm. so i think that there has been some challenges around the, the unknown but i also think that that what i have seen is lots of examples of kindness lots of examples of people collaborating together organizations coming together Google and, and, and Amazon coming to, together to solve more examples of creativity, more examples of, of innovation. So I think I think what we are seeing, and it's quite interesting as well, isn't it? When we compare this to the financial crisis, where that period the narrative was always about always about to blame, and yes, everyone wanted to be able to blame some things, but but, but I don't think that that was healthy because. We didn't then come out of it with lots and lots of new new ideas because we spent mm. it, but it took us a lot longer because we spent the first probably three or four months blaming or looking at who we should blame. Whereas in this instance, because yes, there have been some examples, but we should, I don't think we should dwell on that too, too much. In the most part, I think that there has been more coming together. I mean, mm. you know, appreciation in, in the UK for our NHS for those on the, the front line our recognition that um we want you know the the goodness of humanity I think we've seen so many examples of that and I, I think that, that is so positive and I hope that it really continues. I think that you've raised a lot of points that I mean we mean you have a lot of conversations and like you said there's a few points that you've touched on that we're both very passionate about or become more aware of consumption sustainability of the planet and and all the good that has come from being able to pause and be a bit more present and you're able to do that with a lot of people this is not a sabbatical we are still working but if you were to take a sabbatical that's you taking pause in your life we're all having to pause we're all having to reassess what does and doesn't serve us and i think that that's that there is a good from that you've probably covered this question in the previous point but is there anything different that's been a big challenge for you as a mother around this pandemic I think it's it's an interesting one because I've got children across different different ranges so for my younger ones actually this has been incredible for them especially my three-year-old because he has his sisters his oldest brothers his mum and dad around him every day and that is his his favorite thing yeah he's just been having a fantastic time and I haven't worried about particularly, you know, my, my one-year-old and three-year-old. It's been hard at times juggling things, but 
they're okay and they're they're having fun and they're doing lots of things and they've been outside you know we all of all of those things I think it's been much more challenging for for older children you know teenagers they they need social contact they you know that their network is much more their friends unfortunately than their parents at this point you know their parents are important people in their lives but equally their 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 friends and their social networks incredibly important for them and i i'm definitely worried more about them than than my ones and then for my my seven and my 13 year old you know where it's kind of schooling the value of teaching um i think people have a real appreciation for 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 that because it's hard but i think you know again i've been quite kind to myself i've been very lucky my my daughter loves school and you know she'll sit and she'll do all of all of her her work which is different to to my stepson perhaps but both of them i've been focused less on making sure that they do every single thing as long as they've done the majority of things but i think the thing that's been really hard is the interaction that school provides for children and and school isn't about learning maths and learning science and learning geography we know that it's so much more than that and I think what the last five weeks has shown me is just how important that is and my daughter's had a really tough weekend and she's been very quiet and withdrawn which is very out of character and it took a long time for for me and my husband to really draw out of it and it's all just around she's not having conversations with people her age and at that time their imagination is crazy so they you know they create whole worlds and they have imagined you know and the way that they play with each other and and the importance of play with peers and not just siblings is i think as important as them learning the core subjects at, at school and and for me that's been the hardest point part and the thing that i think they've missed the most yeah i think for me it's interesting you touched upon the older children obviously i've got twins that are 19 and you're right. Myself going through this pandemic, I'm fine. Like I, mm-hmm. I do want to see people and I'm missing people. I'm fine to continue. I look at the bigger picture of, you know, it's, we don't all want to go out. We don't all want to get sick. I, I can kind of, you know, logically work out what, what's happening. Not that my children can't, they are, you know, you've met them, you know that they can, <laughs> but particularly for my daughter, she is, I'm concerned if we don't get some type of lockdown release soon, because, as you know, she was away in Africa for six weeks before she left. She hasn't mm-hmm. seen anyone since February. So it's really, really tough for her to be around me. And we have a great relationship. Yeah. Me. It's yeah. not that at all. It's, it's different. Very, yeah, yeah. It's really, really tough for that, that age to not be able to socialise with their friends in, in yes. a way that they yes we they have video phones and all of that stuff but to physically be you know just go and get a coffee or go go and have something to eat they're just not being able to do that and I know it's really kind of getting to yeah. the point of despair so yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite worrying isn't it no no absolutely and, and I think often you know teenagers can get a bad, a bad press around being lazy and you know also mm-hmm. We could again have another whole podcast on that topic, but I also think it's one of the most critical points in our lives. The age from you know fifteen up to twenty one, twenty two, we make some of the biggest decisions that we do at that point in time, and I think that that can't be underestimated. And it's the time where we've got, as we know, very high suicide rates, lots of mental ill health, and and yeah, we we must 
we must be paying attention to to that and i think that there is a lot of focus particularly on those with very young children and that's it's physical exhaustion isn't it <laughs> you know running around and, and managing all of that and those that are at school and what what that means but i think that there's this kind of this this other group that we must also really understand what what's going on and, and i think that you know the support around mental ill health for those for those young people is really important one as we're kind of going through this and for many of those young people as well that they'll be looking for their first jobs and mm. that's it's going to be a tough time yeah um, yeah we're going to have to be very as supportive as we can do we talk about human connection and how technology can enable this what has the the pandemic taught you about technology and enabling human connection I think that there is a lot of good that can come out of this. And I think that what we're doing now and other areas is a way in which we can have conversations that we perhaps couldn't have five or 10 years ago. But we need to make sure that um, we are also not spending too much time <laughs> on tech, tech, technology. And I've definitely had sometimes at the end of the days where you've only had Teams call Zoom calls, da, 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 and you think, "Wow, I wow. probably yeah. had technology overload." So, so I think that in all of this, it's about using it in a way where we can connect with each other, but that we are using it mindfully. That it's not the only thing that we're connected with. So, I think it, it it's about really thinking about how do we use technology in a way that encourages people to connect with each other at a social level mm. and so when i think about that like we you know break break it down into different elements i think it's it's really good when you're trying to continue to speak have a conversations informal and formal both a work and non-work context but also then not being so consumed with news not being so consumed with social media not being so consumed with these things when we're at home and we're alone because i definitely know for me personally i can spend i can get dropped really really drawn into mm -hmm. too, too much and so i think technology can really be there for good but i also think that we have to be very mindful that we are not only using it um in a way to kind of Give us too give us too much information this is a woman in leadership conversation and you're a woman in a senior position ceo how do you continue to throw the ladder down and support and empower other women personally what does that look like for you i think it's a it's a great a great question i think um i think it's being trying to be empathetic and, and mindful of going back to our earlier conversation that every woman is different every woman's aspirations is different every person's aspirations are, are different but I think in a nutshell it's always supporting as much as we can and we'll always have times when we'll have you know perhaps frictions or things that are, are more difficult but always if you're always starting with the philosophy of how can I help someone mm -hmm. you will always get more done than how do I make someone else's life more more diff difficult? And so I, I think yeah, help over competition is always the best best way to be be, be as a leader. And you'll always get more out of people. So, and 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 I think so often we've been set to compete with each other rather than to try and 
help and 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 support each other and i think that you can have lots of uh lots and lots of of, of allies that really can like help and you know give you power and kind of raise your power mm, mm. two questions so have you had mentors or advocates throughout your career and how did they support you yes de- definitely so uh a few of them are women and a few of them are men and they've all been incredibly important and i think why why have they been so important they've been important because they've often told me the things that were difficult to hear but mostly they've told me that i can do things when i really didn't think that i can kind of coming back to that that point earlier of of, of help it's and i don't think this is just a female characteristic i see it in men always it's it's so hot often that we have kind of those, those points where we really doubt doubt ourselves or we think that we can do something and we can't. And we are capable, but we need someone else to to really help us help us see that. And I think that those mentors have that's what they've that's what they've done. So you know, sometimes kind of raising that mirror and saying, Do you think that that's the best decision to handle? But but mostly it's actually everything that you're thinking is is right. You've just got to you've you've got to go for it and you've got to not worry so much that you're doing the wrong thing or that mm. you aren't doing it comes back to the you know why am I seven out of ten because I don't think I'm doing anything that well and actually what you often need to hear is just one person saying this is working re- really well which is different mm. to needing to have like praise on every single thing because when you're in leadership you don't have someone above you saying Oh, this was good. This was the good. This was good, and you don't need. I don't think you need to hear that. But what you need to hear is someone else saying, "Oh, I've really enjoyed working on this," or "Hasn't mm. this been fantastic?" Or mm. seeing someone else do a really great piece of work. That is the recognition you need as a leader that you're doing a good job. Mm. And I think it's like seeing that others are flourishing. Why do you believe sisterhood is so important? I think that it, it there is there's definitely and there's this is probably where I do argue the the nature and the biological argument there is there's something fundamentally important for me personally and this doesn't apply to every woman of the relationships that you ha- that you have with 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 other women and I think you know if I think about it for me th- things that are often really personal around when I had my children my mother sadly died before I had any of my children so the importance of having a really strong female network of women that I could speak to when you're having those moments that you think that you're doing entirely the wrong thing, but you're actually not. Um, and I think men can do that to a point. Husbands, partners can, but not like having someone that has been through it. So I think that that's why sisterhood is so important because you can really relate to it. And I always get crossed with my husband or other men when they start to try and claim that they know what childbirth feels like or what breastfeeding is about and, and and they can't they can you know they can be supportive but but actually there is so much for both men and women in the value of having friends and people that are that are around you that have that are able to really share the same experiences but they're all different but but similar and um, mm. I think that's why it's so important I'm glad that you touched on your husband having a thought here because my next question is 
what do you think the role is of men playing gender equality, particularly in regards to women in leadership? I think they have to be more than allies. I think that they should be championing this. I think they should be shouting louder than women. If we had every single male CEO shouting and championing this across the globe, we'd make progress instantly. They need to be championing it more than women, in, 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 in my view. And there are many, many, many are. But I think that this, I, I said it earlier, I don't think there should be feminists and not feminists. I think there should just be a group of people that are called sexist that think mm. that there should be some reason that inequality ex- ex- exists. So I think men have a, a real role and I think particularly young men as, as well in, in that. Johanna, what inspires you? Uh, lots of diff- lots of different things, I think. Uh, small things like my children learning something new, telling me something, or me seeing the way that they can love and also <laughs> hate, hate, each, hate each other. Um, I think my, my relationships and the quality of my relationships with, with, with people really inspires me. And I think, um, I think thinking, you know, seeing the small things that have a huge impact really inspires me. So it's often not these great, huge initiatives, but it's something someone has done that is small that has then had a kind of a huge knock knock on on effect. So, yeah, I don't have someone that I follow that particularly inspires me, but it's it's often the really small interactions of life that inspire me. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it say and why? It's a good one. <laughs> I think something quite quite simple, um, l- love over hate. I think when I think very philosophically about what's not working, it's often that we focus so much on hate and anger and disagreement. Mm. Other than, and difference rather than celebrate difference. Yeah. And, and I think as humans, we've got more things in common. We all are born, we all experience childhood, we all experience grief, we all experience sadness, we all experience happiness. And I think we don't focus on that as much. We don't focus on our commonality that we might look and think differently. Mm. There's a huge amount of shared experiences across between us as, as humans. And that's beautiful, I think. Another Tuffy, what's the most important thing you've learned in life? To slow down. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> How easily does that come? To slow down, to speed up. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely hard for, for me. I can't, you'd never see me sat watching endless amounts of TV, not doing anything on, on, on a day. So I'm never going to slow, slow, slow down. But when I, when I really do it, when I really slow down in an intentional way to try to make me reach a better decision, it always, it always helps. As a mother, it's def- definitely helped, you know, and, and I think, again, another positive of the last five weeks, I... I think a lot of us, haven't we, with parents always think we need to keep our children entertained. So we need to take them swimming, take them to, you know, mm. clubs. and it's crazy sometimes. The, you know, I come to Sunday night and it's like we've been so busy seeing people, seeing friends. And what we've been forced to do is 
actually the slowing down has meant that I've had hilarious conversations with my children that I probably mm. never had. I've talked to my husband about things that we haven't talked about for a very, very long time. Mm. And so it's like the quality of that time, isn't it? And, and the deepness that you go into when you, when you slow down is powerful. It's really, I think it's incredibly powerful. And finally, what's your one tip to make the world a better place? I think it's quite simple, isn't it? And I, I definitely haven't created this or come up with this idea, but it's be kind. My daughter, you know, every morning, you know, before when she was going to school, it's like, what's the one thing you're going to do today? And the answer always is be kind, because in anything, you know, really what, what else matters? And I think that if we could all do that, things would be really different. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you for spending time and talking to us today. I think it's been really insightful um, and sharing kind of what's driven you to develop a diverse company, kind of more about what we're about and, you know, our vision to create inclusive cultures is a really important one, but also how we've kind of progressed as a business and you as a person and as a mother through this worldwide pandemic and, and how that's kind of changed your your daily life as well as your dreams and ambitions moving forward so thank you so much for joining us today that's great thanks dina it's been a pleasure to have the conversation and um yes i will speak with you soon thank you again